This is a Radio 191 FM podcast. Yes, it is. It's a podcast and you love it. It's history time. Come on, tell your friends. We'll visit New Zealand's ancient lands with Jamie the host and Dr. Valetta Gillibit the historian. Our fun will never end because it's history time. Right, right now I'm joined by Dr. Violetta Hellebert. Uh, good morning, Arthur Maria. Kia ora, good morning, Jamie. How are you going? I'm very well, thank you. I'm looking forward to getting out of jail on the 15th. On the I'm 15th? based up here in Tamaki. Yeah, well, on the 16th, actually. I wasn't quite so bold as to book my flights on the day the quarantine lifts, but <laughs> yeah, Arthur's okay. Got your haircut yet? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think I'll just get one in Dunedin. It feels weird up here. Yeah. Still got the COVID anxiety is quite present. But, oh, yeah. No doubt. No doubt. And it's like it's going to be for us too when you arrive. Um, now. Yeah, bringing those bad vibes right down there with me. <laughs> what do you mean she's, she's been in Auckland? Get her away from me. Double um, jab. She's double jab though. Don't run. Right. Today, um, our look in the past begins with £10,000, or in today's money, $640,000. It was bequested to the Auckland City Council by William Elliott, who I couldn't find much on at all, just that William Elliott was a businessman, to build a new entrance at the Auckland Domain, the Elliott Gate. Uh, And a statue was commissioned to provide the adornment for the gate, uh, and this was done by Richard Gross, um, who did the middle work for the Dunedin Cenotaph um, down here in Queen's Gardens. Um, it's pretty cool. He did a few other cenotaphs around the country as well. Um, and the statue was entitled The Athlete. And it proved controversial. Why? Oh, well, Jamie, uh, to, to put it bluntly, um, his, his penis was out. People didn't really like that. I mean, 1936, we do, we are talking about an athlete here and um, we will talk more about how, you know, nudity was or at certain times was acceptable around that time. But um, yeah, as the adornment to this grand structure outside the Auckland domain, a central part of the city, um, deeply polarizing. Yes. Mm, mm. So the, the, the statue was in a pose of a shot putter although they obviously did it a little bit differently back then. Uh, <laughs> um, but like you said, he had his penis out. Uh, it didn't have it outside of anything. Completely nude. And it's a sporting figure, you know, so it's bringing back those feelings of ancient Greece. Yes, absolutely. That proud legacy of sport and philosophy and military prowess and it's all kind of on show there plenty of um connections to how the domain was used at the time in the 30s it was mainly sports and military things that took place there and the public would all congregate to see but it was a more casual public space um a thoroughfare you know in the middle of the city so uh certain folk who weren't accustomed to those kinds of symbols and such uses of the human body folk that maybe weren't familiar with um those high traditions of you know greece art, athleticism, whatnot, would just see a naked man um, outside the domain and thought it was either obscene or extremely funny. And both responses were very problematic. Mm. Mm. Yeah, um, particularly children. Uh, children 
are said to have routinely gathered around the statue when it first went up and had a bit of a giggle to the point where outraged citizens would chase them off and admonish them and probably shake their fists and then write angry letters to the local newspaper. So, yeah, <laughs> well-documented controversy. Yes. Uh, one of the first groups to kick up a fuss was our old fiend, friends, the Temperists. Absolutely. The um, Auckland District Women's Temperance Union, or Christian Temperance Union, rather. It's a mouthful. Um, 1,200 women represented, and uh, they were their concerns were all represented in an official protest. And especially, you know, they were beyond the, the moral uplift that they were concerned with, were, you know, the people of Auckland, the fact that... Um, donated funds that might have been spent on, you know, more morally upright figures or displays um, had been put into this thing they found offensive. So, yeah, they weren't happy. Yeah. I wonder what William Elliot would have felt, felt about it because, of course, he he passed, he died the year that the money was bequeathed. That's why it's bequeathed. Um, you know, so I wonder what his thoughts were. We will never know. We'll never know, but I just wonder. He also gave at the same time, well, his estate, or maybe he left it to the council to do these things, but also the uh, Winter Gardens. Yeah, is, no, he yeah. did a lot. Important guy and good grief. I mean, that really um, inflation calculation puts a whole lot into perspective. I mean, you know, £10,000 is quite a lot back in the day, but half a million dollars yeah. in today's money? Like, that's extreme. Though it's still, I mean, it looks that's, beautiful. Mm, that's one bedroom. In, what's that? It's one bedroom oh. in the house in Auckland. Oh, if that, if that, <laughs> if I want, I can Yeah, so some great things said by the people, as they were, you know, there's a little bit of a moral panic mm-hmm. that was seen as immoral, um, shocking, horrifying to women. Um, but one of my favourite things to come out of, of what you sent me and what I read was that uh, boys and youth, that they said that boys and youth would deliberately take girls there so the forbidden topic may be raised. Precisely. Um, <laughs> this was more rumoured than. Well, I mean, yeah, it was. It was alleged, uh, but not necessarily confirmed. Though, I mean, I can imagine it would be a slightly less uh, stuffy environment to raise the prospect of uh, illicit relations than, say, in an art gallery or in a museum, mm. which were other locations that you could very easily. Um, you know, view an unclothed body back in the 1930s. But the park was more of an unruly space. And so, of course, people felt that, you know, giggling children and suspect couples kind of making their way around it. And, um, that you know, this boded very, uh, very badly for, you know, for, for various things that uh, the Christian Temperance Union and many others weren't really happy with. Yeah, yeah. Now, the thing right. is, like, this is a human body. It's a human figure, an athlete in flight, and yet it was seen, it wasn't seen that way by some, it was sexualized, um, you know, when it should, it shouldn't have been so. I mean, because sexualization and, um, you know, uh, physicality um, are mutually exclusive. Precisely, yeah. Um, from a Christian perspective, and especially given uh, the concept, like the big kind of sweeping social reforms that New Zealand had just experienced, you know, the temperance movement um, and the 
the degree that people believed in Christianity and were suspicious of sexuality led it to quite easily be associated with the human body when it shouldn't really have been. But um, no one was really advocating for that back in the 30s. I mean, it was quite normal for even married couples to sleep in separate beds and, Mm. you know, only kind of uh, get undressed in each other's presence when they're they're lying back and thinking of England, so to speak. Like even bathing or getting undressed around each other was quite taboo. Um, And bodies, especially bodies of the opposite gender, um, weren't routinely kind of discussed or talked about for that fear of immorality. So um, there were definitely plenty of situations where the unclothed body was not sexualized, say within sport. Mm-hmm. Um, people mm-hmm. didn't play sport naked in the 1930s, but they sure had to wear very skimpy outfits sometimes. Like if we think of rowing, for example, yeah. um, or women's swimming. And especially if you looked at um, like physical culture groups, um, especially women's and men's sports, they wore leotards and they wore shorts and, you know, sometimes like little tops. But usually in these situations, they were segregated. Yeah. So this happened in, you know, women's colleges or women's secondary schools and likewise for men. Even if um, women were watching men playing rugby, they weren't playing rugby with them. They were spectating. So there were all these like kind of rhetorical divisions that kept the human body from being sexualized in particular situations, not necessarily saying that it wasn't. Yeah. Just theoretically, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that uh, many, many folk made their way to beauty competitions and sporting events back in the 1930s and earlier um, just to get a look at some skin. And that was something that wasn't really acknowledged, but certainly did happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it just makes me think of the whole ankle thing. I know. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? Yeah, yeah, so... When, um, <laughs> when the ankle was the most desirable part of a woman, uh, it's and, the only part you saw. So beauty competitions as well would have yeah. particular categories where you, um, you know, something about the ankle to foot length was counted towards your score, mm. especially for women, which I love that, you know, we will have <laughs> the foot category of beauty competitions back in the 30s and earlier. Um yeah takes on a completely different tone when we think about it today but uh but this is the thing right i mean we're talking about this form and then the physical form of a male playing sport and it wasn't you know it it, it wasn't sexualized it may have been by some but not really but how is it on the other hand for women because we're we're looking at a day of no doubt beauty competitions weren't just like miss otago uh and miss new zealand um, they were probably Miss, um, you know, Abbotsford uh, or Miss, uh, you know, local grocery store lady. It's like there's a lot of them all over the shop. There's a lot yes. of things going on like that. And how were they perceived? Well, um, they, they were looked upon really well. Uh, unlike with this particular statue uh, and with certain other groups like, say, the naturists, which hopefully we'll talk about a bit later, um, that there wasn't any kind of the doubt or suspicion upon beauty contests like this. They were seen as good, wholesome fun. Um, and they, yeah, certainly weren't sexualized. They'd be held in, like, um, on local sporting days and churches would hold their equivalents of these as in carnival queens. 
you know, or even kind of, you know, more modest versions of what beauty contests would be, where ladies would get into, at certain points, skimpy outfits or have their bodies uh, photographed, or parts of their bodies photographed and published, sometimes even in the local newspaper. Um, so that was seen as a uh, legit form of pageantry that respectable women and community-minded folk could partake in. Um, but yeah, again, when it came to the statue of um, the Auckland in the Auckland domain, perhaps because there weren't all those regulations and special categories and all of those tight-knit community relationships where, you know, you weren't necessarily going to wolf whistle at the contestants because everybody in the audience knew you, for example. There were these standards of behaviour that were enforced in those community spaces that you just could not control in the Auckland domain. And especially given the fact that not only was it like kind of removed from the control that was in place in museums and art galleries was the fact that, you know, suspect behaviour could take place in mm. um, as in couples going um, not just to, you know, view a view an unclothed statue, but to have a cheeky <laughs> canoodle and even a full-blown affair um, in the bushes to the point where um, blackmailers operated in the domain as well. Yeah. So if you were having an affair, you could potentially get photographed and blackmailed um, and extorted in the domain. There were also um, illegal bookies taking bets from people who were just like walking home from the pub or leaving work or whatnot. Um, and just, you know, transient folk potentially like sleeping in the bushes or just having a beer on the lawn or something. And all this was viewed by folk like the Women's Christian Temperance Union as being deeply kind of chaotic and uh, just removed from respectable behavior. If you had a drink, you had to go to the tea rooms. Um, yes, no, yes. We drink alcohol at all, you know. Um, so on all of these things. And, of course, you know, public places, especially in the interwar era, where, where uh, gay men would meet up to get to know each other and potentially have a hookup, which was also illegal. Um, unlike, you know, ma- unmarried couples having a canoodle in the bushes, they might be blackmailed, but they wouldn't be hauled off to jail. Yeah. Unlike gay folk. So all of this plus nudity in the Auckland domain was a big no-no. But outside of that, as I said, in like more controlled and kind of conventional spaces involved with churches and communities and sporting groups. It was okay. It was okay. But the nudists were another thing altogether. Yeah. Um, Isn't it interesting? I mean, we're just talking about a park and we're not just talking, and this isn't just a thing to Auckland domain. I mean, of course the statue is, but these things were happening in all the parks around the Yeah, around the place, the oval here. Indeed, you've got these daytime activities and it's wholesome and, you know, and uh, camaraderie and, you know, sportsmanship and gentlemanliness and lovely day out and la di da di da. And then at nighttime, it's this den of immoral behavior. (laughs) So these spaces. Depending on when you where where you went in the garden, even during the daytime, um, it could you know these spaces could coexist. You go to one corner of the garden where all the scallywags are hanging out, engaging in scallywag behaviour, and then you know in like more public, better viewed kind of areas of the garden, you've got like marching bands practicing their steps and stuff. And so this was, I mean, as we can imagine, thinking of the Dunedin Botanic Gardens, there are plenty of like sectioned off spaces in that wider big kind of public space where those multiple kind of things could take place Mm. so they were really dynamic um and such a like kind of lively cross-section of uh of communities in history like from the ultra respectable and state sanctioned um you know 
Christian Temperance Union approved activities to the um, more unsavory or dangerous or just, you know, um, kind of unknown of things that take place as well. So, yeah. yeah. I would be with the scallywags. Oh, likewise. <laughs> um, right. So we've, we've, we've taught, you know, there's sexuality and there's the physical form, uh, physique, uh, and then there's a place where you could people perceive it to be quite sexual but it's not at all and that's when you go to the nudist camp <laughs> absolutely to the naturists um an interesting and polarizing uh group of folk who have a, a surprisingly long history in new zealand mm. uh in dunedin in fact that was where um one good fellow bravely in 1933 i believe uh, tried to establish the first uh well it was then known as nudist and it was only later that they tried to get away from the nude part and say naturist and put the yeah. emphasis on bodies and natures but uh, back then it was definitely uh, just a nudist club and it was lampooned very heavily in the press as well as opposed very vigorously in the community um, the Women's Christian Temperance Union at the forefront of that charge as well. Uh, and, yeah, but eventually it got off the ground in uh, 1938. So yeah. the war was ending. Um, war was about to begin. The, well, uh, oh, my God, what the heck? Like, if a historian gets the date of World War fucking two wrong, you're in fucking trouble. Please, mate. Oh, it's it's too hot up here in Auckland. I'm not I accustomed mean, to this. Hitler's already in Czechoslovakia then. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. Right. So let's leave, a, let's leave a gap so I can find that part. Right. Um, so we were saying off. Oh, Saving, saving my my professional reputation. Thank yeah. you. Um, yeah, 1938. Yes. It got off the ground. And they kind of uh, continued on practicing relatively quietly without too much kind of public interference. So um, similar thing, I guess, with the statue, there was a bit of an outcry. And, oh, the nudists are coming. They're setting up a camp in our town. But gradually... Um, you know, the visit that kind of movement spread to other cities and other districts um, with a lot of international support. The nudist or naturist um, movement was heavily tied in with that physical culture where sunshine is good for your body, mm. um, being active and connecting with nature is good. There was some point at which it became a bit dubious and most kind of respectable folk the kind of, you know, folk, which was a lot of people who weren't accustomed to getting undressed in front of their spouse, um, found nudists a bit weird and a bit suspect. Um, but nonetheless, you know, um, they were allowed to continue well into uh, the 20th century. I think in the 80s was the height of the yeah. nudist movement in Aotearoa. And then beyond that, it just, um, I think, became a bit more private and way less shocking. Um I think folk attempted to kind of get a bunch of friends together and go out to like a swimming hole somewhere and just get naked or, you know, just various stages of undress, you know, get rid of those tan lines. And so that culture is kind of toned down a bit, but back in the day, and especially in the thirties and forties, it was also really, um, you know, one of the main things that nudists did when they got together in their camps and cleared some brush away was play sport. Yeah, as well as bathing. Yeah. One of the main things, you know, it's like you want to uh, you want to do some lawn mowing, you want to cook some beans in the nude, but you also want to like play some tennis. 
cook some Place beans. <laughs> I don't know. You've got to eat when you're out camping in the wilderness. Beans. And that, uh, yeah. And so um, that's not something I find really, <laughs> really funny about. Oh, well, beans are camping food, man. You've got to have beans when you camp. True. I, 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 yeah, I feel you now. I, I was just thinking about the um, yeah the enzymes and breaking them down and the outcome of that. Um, well, well, true. Digestive health. I mean, you've got to look after it. Even um, it's true. And, and a bit of tennis. Oh God, too many. I'm conjuring too many thoughts. See, it shouldn't be funny to me. It should just be an everyday thing. Um, Precisely. I mean, one of the reasons we're having a giggle is because you know it's still um, kind of the. I, I think the historical element of it also just you know. Yeah. We we smug sexually liber- liberated folk here in the present are liable to look back on our. Uh, Unclothed, far braver than than we um, ancestors in the past, and have a laugh. But yeah, um, they were just doing their thing, um, and you know, being quite brave in so doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, we're we're a bit more accepting, but also I I think you know um, there, there are still controversies surrounding you know folk um, don't necessarily like being surprised by an unclothed person at a beach or wherever. Yes. So. That's why there were specific beaches, right? That's why Mapua was quite famous. Um, Mapua um, and, and Nelson, there was a famous nudist beach there. I, I don't know which exact beach it was in Mapua, um, but yeah. Um, and there was a few other ones dotted around. I've been to one before. Um, oh, yeah. 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 Good times. Oh, well, you know, same way uh, a lot of nudist um, groups back in the day were just kind of crowd funds to buy a property a bit of bush or somewhere mm. and kind of make their own camp and just raise it from scratch to avoid having any of those problems because if you wanted to be naked in any public or semi-public place um before the 70s it would probably have been a big issue so they kind of had it all sorted like that and a lot of them are still going yes indeed they are indeed they are and long may they last precisely free the nipple Exactly, exactly. Everything else. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we we'll leave it there for today. Thank you very much. And um, if you're in, you're in Auckland now, uh, and of course, if anyone else travels up to Auckland, they can go to the Auckland Domain and they can see the athlete. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I was, I, I was um, really surprised and pleased when I first glimpsed it because I'd uh, read up about this whole controversy years prior and then I was getting an Uber out of the Auckland War Memorial Museum, I think, and I just looked up the other window and I was like, oh, it's the pee-pee. It's the pee-pee. The famous guy. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, they could have just covered it with a fig leaf, but then we would not have any of this, uh, you know, great yarning and good storytelling to enjoy. So I'm very grateful. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you very much. And um, it's holiday time and I'll see you this week, <laughs> uh, which is going to be great. And, uh, and we'll be back next year, the 2022. Kia ora, Jamie. Thanks, Thanks for a great buddy. year. That was a f***ing Radio 1 podcast, mate. There's heaps more at r1.co.nz.